0: Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by Chris Cartman, Cole Bradley, and Noah Furtado. Chris, how you doing today?
1: Living large and in charge.
0: Cole, how are you doing today?
2: Um, consider that two people large and in charge. Noah, are you large and in charge? I will not third that, but I am
3: doing well. I'm ready to get into the pod. Wow. All right. Well, then let's get into the podcast.
0: Why don't we know? It seems like you're pretty in charge there, making us get started right away. But anyways, this podcast, we're going to review ASU's opening game against NAU, where ASU won 40-3. to It's a 23rd consecutive victory and a home opener for the Sun Devils. So dominance and home openers for ASU. The first thing we'll talk about, Chris, is injuries. The big news coming out of the game is offensive lineman Joey Ramos will be out for this season with an ankle injury. Ed Woods also has a right ankle injury. All we know in terms of a time frame is he will be out for the next game against Oklahoma State. But what's the update on injuries, Chris?
1: Yeah, those two guys are the – Biggest injuries of no by far, Ramos uh, is significant. The ASU talked a lot in recent weeks about its confidence in having seven offensive linemen capable of starting. Ramos was battling against Chris Martinez at right guard uh, and, and basically won that job essentially. But then Des Holmes, the Penn State transfer, wasn't able to play in the season opener uh, with an undisclosed uh, injury that um, led to Ramos starting at right tackle. Uh, After Ramos got hurt, ASU moved his glass and started at left tackle in his first start over to right tackle and bumped up Emmett Bowley, who had taken some series in the first half at left tackle uh, to play left tackle. Um, What they'll do this week against Oklahoma State, it looks as though Des Holmes will be back. He practiced today with the first team on Tuesday. Um, And so that means Holmes would start at right tackle, Martinez at right guard now. And uh, left tackle can still probably be somewhat of a battle between Isaiah Glass and uh, Emmett Bowley. Although I thought Glass looked really good and wouldn't be surprised if he solidifies that starting role. They do feel pretty good about uh, going six deep now. They're not as deep as they were. Uh, You mentioned Ed Woods' injury, that was um, him getting the start at cornerback opposite of Roe Torrance. Um, He has an injury that looks like it's going to be a week or maybe a couple weeks. Uh, right ankle, and, um, but ASU gets to marcus Davis back after he missed NAU with a knee issue that kept him out basically an entire month. Um, and uh, so in practice today, we saw to Marcus Davis on one side at end and Roe Torrance on the other side of end. Keon Markham is a third uh, uh, um, uh, cornerback that they have. And then uh, Jordan Clark, who's missed three-plus weeks with a knee injury himself, Uh, Worked with the second team today back in practice at nickel behind DJ Taylor, who had a pretty impressive uh, game for his first time playing the nickel position. Uh, The only other guy that's, I think, definitely looks like trending to being out this week was Garrett Stansbury. He also missed NAU. He's had a hamstring that pretty much has prevented him from practicing the entirety of the preseason through now. And uh, he was not participating in practice uh, this week. The, I guess there is another injury, and that is Thomas Bouchier. Uh, he had a hand injury, and we haven't seen him in practice uh, for a week or so. He would have been like their, you know, eighth offensive lineman maybe. So you know, now somebody else, maybe um, Ralph Frias or somebody, would, would become like their set, their seventh offensive lineman at this point.
0: So the offensive line definitely going to be tested in the upcoming weeks. Maybe a little bit more health in the secondary department, though, for ASU. Last year, we opened up this season with ASU about 13 penalties in their opener against Southern Utah, which, as many of you know, became a running theme for the whole season. The team this or against NAU only had five penalties, which was tied for a season low of last season, which happened in two different games. We're going to go to Noah Furtado here. Noah, what did you see just kind of break down the penalties that happened, their impact when those penalties did happen and just what you saw in the penalty standpoint?
3: Yeah. So only one of the five penalties actually came on offense. It was the first one committed by Isaiah glass, a false start. Um, It ended up being pretty untimely because it stalled out a drive that started pretty strong. Uh, with three carries for 32 yards, Valaday started it off with a nine-yard rush, followed by Jones for eight yards, and then Engada for a 15-yarder, but it ultimately ended with a punt there, Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, there were a couple penalties that negated pick sixes, the first of which was an offsides on Anthony Cooper. Um, In that instance, it looked like the quarterback for NAU, RJ Martinez, kind of probably knew that he had a free play and, and sort of sailed it uh, while being rushed by Cooper off the edge. So that one was a little bit more uh, sort of discounted in terms of the validity of the pick six. But the other one, which was picked up by Chris Edmonds off a tip by uh, DJ Taylor in the nickel, uh, that one stood in terms of the interception, but it was pulled back because of a holding call by Omar Norman Lott. And so uh, those were pretty uh, impactful penalties there Uh, There was another one committed by Roe Torrance on a face mask that uh, kept the NAU drive going um, on a third down and long. He stopped the receiver short a couple yards short, um, but it really wasn't a good play. It should have been a pretty routine open field tackle for Torrance there. Um, And so overall they really didn't have a large volume like they did last year, Um, but there were some of those untimely penalties. Uh, It was brought up in Donnie Henderson's, press conference and, you know, you bring that up to him and he's like, he really wanted to nail down the fact that a lot of them were untimely. Um, The final penalty, which we didn't initially register in our reporting, we initially thought it was four penalties which would have been fewer than any of their games uh, last season was by George Hart, it was a holding call on a special teams play, I believe it was a punt return uh, but that came in garbage time late in the fourth quarter. And so that sort of rounds out all five penalties for ASU there. Um, overall, a lot cleaner game. Obviously, for ASU, they they'd like to see that continue, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Just seeing one false start uh, by one of their linemen that was that was a clean performance there. Um, and even on the defensive side of the ball, that the it was it just happened to be sort of really untimely penalties that brought back uh, at least one uh, score for them on that side of the ball. So.
1: It, it was definitely a positive sign for ASU, but with some important caveats, one game at home, much more, less likely to have false start penalties. And of course, Southern Utah was at home, so I'm not saying that's different. But um, I, thought, I thought the offense, the everybody kind of getting lined up and knowing what they were supposed to do operationally it looked a lot better, uh, I would say. Um, but the main caveat really is that we're going to learn a lot from when this team goes on the road to Oklahoma State, because that's when you have a lot more opportunities to have problems with um, guys not hearing the count, uh, having to go to a silent snapping procedure. Uh, We we, we noticed right away Oklahoma State's quarterback very good at, at cadence and getting guys to jump off sides. So there's a lot more opportunities for procedural um penalties that are going to be coming up so we have to see one more game at a minimum before we're able to make a determination that this team is trending toward being a much more disciplined team in a way that could have a material difference on its uh record this season
0: Definitely a change in terms of how much they were penalized. Let's transfer over to the offense. What you guys thought about their performance throughout this game, a lot of new pieces, including an offensive coordinator, including a new quarterback as well, a new lead running back, a lot of new faces, first game of the season. Cole, we'll go to you first. What did you think about the offense's performance?
2: Yeah, Ethan, I thought to start, uh, I will say, I think Glenn Thomas's play calling, I mean, I think he kept it simple. I think some of the coaches noted that as well. But I thought he called a pretty good game uh, for the most part. And he prioritized, we reported on this a little bit, he prioritized, I think, spreading the ball around a little bit, getting the ball into the hands of multiple playmakers, whether that was on the ground or through the air, um, got multiple receivers involved. Um, I thought the run game was obviously very strong. I thought it was a really good um, first impression from Xavier Valade on the ground, obviously over a hundred yards. Um, Daniel and looked solid. They also got Tevin white, some carries, which was a little bit un, unexpected. I would have thought George Hart would have been ahead of him, but he seemed solid in in a few of his carries. So all around, I thought it was a pretty solid performance for, for the unit. Um, the offensive line, uh, looked pretty solid. Like Chris said, Isaiah glass had a really good game, I think. And I thought after the Ramos injury, Uh, They did a pretty good job of keeping their composure um, and making sure that didn't really, you know, wasn't really a detriment to them moving forward. So overall, I thought it was a strong performance, but it's it's easy to say that you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt um, against a lower quality opponent. Like we've all mentioned, we're going to probably learn a lot more this Saturday when they go on the road and are tested against a ranked opponent um, in a hostile environment. But overall, I thought it was a strong start.
0: What about you, Noah? What were your thoughts on the offense?
2: Yeah, you know, the story of the
3: game was undeniably about uh, the rushing attack. When you finish with 267 rushing yards, um, it's hard to deny that. Um, three different players, and Ngata, and Jones, all three of them had double-digit carries. Uh, with Valaday leading the way, at 15 carries for 116 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good, uh, especially when he got to the second level. Um, he was able to make some guys miss, get some broken tackles, and that was a positive sign to see. Um, but I also think just beyond that, you, you go and look at the opening drive of the of the game, and Emery Jones passed for four, four for five, 54 yards on that drive. Uh, I thought it was a sharp start for him, um, even though it ended in a field goal. Uh, that particular drive ended with three straight runs that didn't get first downs. Um, but basically, the first half of the game uh, was pretty solid for Jones through the air. He finished the first half with 10 of 12 passes being completed for 120 yards and a strong passer rating. There are a couple of mistakes here and there, some miscues, um, but overall that was, that was a pretty good um, display early on from Jones. And then on top of that, there was a, a, one of his weapons, Messiah Swinson, uh, the transfer tight end from Missouri. He actually looked really good uh, early on. He caught two of Jones's first four passes on that drive, one being a 13 yarder and another being uh, one for 19 yards. And I think throughout the game, he also showed that um, he showed his pedigree as far as, you know, his strength being run blocking Uh, on a number of their successful runs. He was definitely a big part of it in terms of sticking to his assignment and opening up some holes there. And for the game, he finished with a total of three catches for 50 receiving yards, uh, which was good to see for Swinson, who coming into that game, only had seven catches for 84 yards after four years of being really a block first tight end at Missouri. So,
1: yes, I think uh, really good points that you guys made. I, um, people who are on members on Cinema source know that I grade all of the players going into a season and the top five offensive players in order were Darius Henderson, number one, Xavier Valade, number two, um, number three on offense was uh, Ben Scott four Emory Jones, five Daniel Ngata. So I think when you see this game uh, very clearly with Henderson was dominant, uh, Davion Valve looked excellent. Um, ben Scott had a really good performance as you would expect, uh, but that was his first opportunity to start at center. And so that's an important sort of barometer for where he's at. Um, and Emory Jones was next. I thought he performed uh uh, quite well. Probably, I would say for his first game, Not definitely not flawless by any stretch, but when you got all these new moving parts that you're kind of dealing with, uh, I thought that, that that functioned quite well. Messiah Swinson maybe was a little bit more impressive than I had anticipated. I was a little bit maybe hesitant to see if he would be able to carry over some of that stuff into games. He also had some drops in practices or instances when uh, I, I think that the blocking wasn't as – robust as i had maybe anticipated for somebody coming off of what his role was at missouri but uh, he played quite well and so um you know the biggest question marks are about this team really are the the you know on the outside and and receiver and um we're going to have to kind of learn more about that as as these weeks continue to unfold against better competition
0: speaking of receiving you guys talked a lot about the rushing game, as it was impressive throughout the NAU game, but the receiving game was a question mark coming into the season. In our preseason podcast, no one said that any receiver would have, or it was close to that any receiver would have over 40 receptions, receiver or tight end, anyone in the receiving part of the game. So does this game change your mind, or what are your thoughts on what you saw from the receiving game in terms of someone having more than 40 catches this season? Cole, we'll go to you first again.
2: Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, like, I think I I don't really see that really changing, to be honest. I think a lot of our thoughts were sort of confirmed in the first game, and it's pretty clear that they're going to try and spread the ball around a lot. They, you know, they're going to try and use um, the depth or lack thereof that they have in the room as much as possible um, at wide receiver and, and on top of that at tight end to try and get everyone involved because they... I, you know, I, I would imagine they're probably thinking that, okay, these guys have the ability to contribute at a high enough level. Um, with that being said, I, I mean, anything could really happen. I mean, it, again, it's a first game. Jones could develop um, a top target or a go-to guy um, in, in the coming weeks. We don't really know. But I think overall it doesn't really change, at least for me, um, just because of, of how much they were able to spread the ball around and get the ball into multiple people's hands. Um, in that first game.
0: What about you, Noah? Did you have any change of mind in this topic?
2: I'm, I'm really sticking to it.
3: I, I still don't envision one receiver or pass catcher um, getting 240 receptions, but I think a plus, and I, and Chris pointed this out too, I believe, during the game, um, you saw a couple passes between Emery Jones and Elijah Badger, um, in which Jones was able to, to stay in the pocket and complete, a, complete those passes uh, with the defender in his face, um, I think when you see your quarterback hanging in there like that, um, that's, that's a good sign as far as um, you know, Jones's tendencies, trying to, to keep his, his eyes upfield, not necessarily getting too flustered uh, with the pressure. Uh, and in those instances, at least, he, he was able to show uh, some of that maturity there. Um, but I mean, beyond that, Cole pointed it out, they really show that they're going to spread the ball around, and I don't really expect that to to change drastically based on you know their their performance against NAU. Um, I'm going to have to see a lot more evidence um, that Jones will want to to favor some of the the targets that he had towards the top against NAU. Elijah Badger had four catches. I mean, if he can continue to to sort of that kind of output or even more than that then that may change my mind but it's it's really just one game um against an fcs opponent and so we're really just gonna have to see how the passing game evolves uh throughout the season and and it just wasn't enough for me to change my mind in that regard
1: so i I think that i probably would have a different opinion on who's going to lead the team in receptions after this game um you know, I thought, I think we do. We all say Geo Sanders, maybe we did. I, I think it's more likely now that it will either be Elijah Badger or Messiah Swinson. Um, the badger which, takeover, you forgetting the
0: badger takeover? Oh,
1: oh, Ethan said badger. Sorry, yeah. my bad. Come on now, so, I, I want it, my respect. It, you got it. You, you definitely you got it. so much respect, man. It's unbelievable actually how much respect you have. Um, no, look, I, I think if, if there's anybody on the team that you can, that they will be able to kind of force the ball to more, like on screens and different kinds of things and try to just, you know, use utilizing the athleticism of someone, it would be Badger. And just because he kind of functioned better than maybe I had anticipated in this game. um, I would say that he has maybe a chance to have more than 40 catches. I don't know if he will Um, size Swinson, just the, the utilization in some of their personnel groupings and what they can kind of do from him, I think it is, po- it is also possible that he ends up at or near the top of ASU's pass catchers this season. Uh, they did miss one opportunity to Geo Sanders, and he definitely could have had three or four catches and easily could still be right up there um, among the, the leaders on the team.
0: Now it's time for the segment of our podcast. We're calling Trey's Take which is where ASU's quarterbacks coach from last season, Trey Anderson, gives us his valuable insight on the season opener for the Sun Devils, and specifically how the team's offense looked under new coordinator Glenn Thomas and quarterback Emery Jones. Trey, thanks for joining us again. We're happy to have you. How are you doing today?
4: Good, man. Good. Appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's just dive right into it. How would you describe the type of offense we saw the Sun Devils use against NAU? And how well did you kind of think it functioned for a first game with a new quarterback, a new coordinator, and even some new players in other positions?
4: Yeah, I thought it was smooth, man. I mean, you know, obviously them being a huddle team, you kind of worry about going into the first game, like just getting out of the huddle, you know, in and out of the huddle and just having kind of a flow in between the plays. I thought all of that was really smooth um you know and you just getting off the ball just the cadence you know some of those things that we had kind of talked about last week that that were you know some issues all of that was really smooth and so you know going into game one man that's that's a huge thing to to check the box just just there from a pre-snap you know and then um you know like we talked about last week you know Given Glenn's background, he wants to be a play action RPO movement, you know, make it easy on Emory. And the first drive was a perfect indicator of that. Right. I mean, the first drive, I think they had, you know, two play actions, three RPOs. First play of the game was a sprint out. You know, so that's that's the the world that they're going to want to live in. And, um, you know, I think it was great to see. I mean, them have success in that early and, um, you know, and allow Emory to, to play fast and confident and um, a lot of a lot of good positives.
1: One of the things I noticed, Trey, was, um, and you know, a lot of this could be related to it being the first game and having a lot of prep time for NAU, but they really knew exactly what type of coverages they would get situationally, um, scripted stuff from the from the get-go. You mentioned the sprint out against the, uh, that soft zone coverage on the perimeter. Uh, you could see Emery like, kind of looking uh, over to make sure that the coverage was what he thought it, he, it was pre-snap, the first two plays. The second one, um, I think it was a play-action play action where they were, where, where Emory had uh, Elijah Badger on uh, mm-hmm. sort of a stop, stop route, also. Um, and, but things just kind of flowed. But I, I guess what I took from it really was that they had a very uh, well developed sort of approach to what they were trying to do that they then executed reasonably well.
4: Yeah. And, and that's something that NAU had shown all last season. I mean, a lot of soft zone, uh, very, very plain defense. You know, what I mean, so there, there wasn't a lot of guessing in terms of that, which makes it nice. Um, you know, so like, like you said, I mean, the first two plays of the game, you know, you, you feel confident in being able to call a sprint out hitch when, you know, like, you know, based on film, they've shown soft zone, you know, 90% of the time, you know, so you feel confident going into that. Um, you know, like you said, and then the se- second play was an RPO. Um, again, he's, he's just looking at the the leverage of the corner, corner soft, then he throws a, a quick out, you know, so just being able to get some of those easy completions, especially early in the game, um, is really nice. And especially, when you're going against a defense like NAU, soft zone, it's made for RPOs and being able to get the ball out and, and get some completions. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, something you saw early in the game.
0: And, and talking a little bit more about Emery Jones specifically, what did you think about the way ASU used Emory Jones and, and whether it's kind of well-suited to what his strengths are?
4: Yeah, I think it was really good. And, and, and you know, me and Carp were actually talking about it after the game. He looked smooth from under center. I mean, you know, they're going to do some under center stuff and he looked comfortable, you know, which was nice to see just even in the run game stuff. I mean, it just looks smooth getting away from center. And so those are all positives. Um, And then, you know, I I definitely think you want to be careful how much he's getting hit. But it was good to see them, you know, they're definitely going to use his feet and and it doesn't have to be 10 times a game. You know, even if it's a couple times a game where, you know, they're running the zone read, the defensive end crashes, you know, and he's able to pull it for for 10 yards or so, I mean, that, that alone, if you can do that three times a game that keeps the defense honest. And, um, you know, so again, I think just, just having that in, in your pocket uh, is great. And then, uh, you know, like we said, I think, you know, they'll continue to expand on the play actions, uh, the movements, they really didn't have any other movements outside of the the opening sprint out. Um, So I I definitely think we'll see some more of that uh, as the season goes on, but I I thought it it really, it it suited his skill set. you know, Um, again, the under center, the play action, uh, they had seven dropbacks, you know, so obviously, like we talked about last week, you know, you you definitely don't want to get into a world where you're having a ton of dropbacks. Um, so again, good, good first step, good, good first game. Um, and and again, the first drive was a great indicator of who they want to be. So I I think that's a great indicator moving forward of of really who, who they want to be with Emory. Um, again, simple pre-snap. Um, and, and you know, allowing him to 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 be confident and getting the ball out and, and getting getting the ball to guys uh, in space.
1: Yeah, I would say his athleticism facilitated his ability to look so comfortable making this kind of a transition to a new offense. The drop back, dropping back from under center, I uh, was um, I was kind of impressed by his his willingness to hang in there and try and 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 find where he should be going with the football, um, which that is something that we haven't seen probably enough of at ASU in the last couple of years um, and then you know, I, I, I kind of want to see like, what, what is his mechanical consistency going to be um, because there have been some issues with that uh, in, in practices although I didn't really see as much of it in, in this game so overall I thought this was a good sign definitely Glenn Thomas has schemed something that is a pretty good fit for what Emory Jones is going to be able to do I agree that you don't want to be doing too much first-level you know, zone read stuff with him because of just his value and the importance, but you need to also be able to keep defenses honest, right? And that's a big part of what, what allows you to be able to do that. So I think the, the, the balancing of it, especially as we see them kind of go into tougher opponents and then widen out what they're doing within some of their concepts, was actually reasonably impressive.
4: Yeah, and, and you know one thing too that I noticed, because being on the field, like just his demeanor, You know, like in between the series and just kind of how he was communicating with the guys, like he has a good presence to him, you know. And so I think that was really good to see, too, just how he communicates with the guys. And you can tell they believe in him, you know, and and, and that's I mean, that's so important. And so that for me, that was like a huge thing to see, just kind of how he interacts in between drives and obviously wasn't a super stressful environment, but still just just his demeanor in between plays. And so I thought that was really good to see as well.
0: Let's transfer a little bit over just to the offense as a whole in terms of how they're lining up, not just how it kind of affects Emory Jones. But I know you were intrigued by ASU's 21 personnel offense, including its play action capability out of I formation. We're going to have some examples from you on this on the site. Uh, So make sure anyone listening that you look out for that for some of those examples. But can you tell us kind of what you liked about it and why it was working?
4: Yeah, you know, they only ran three plays out of 21. In, but they averaged 18 yards of play. You know, they, they ran an iso. Uh, I think it was third down and, and picked up a first down. Um, they had another explosive run with X. And then they had the play action, um, you know, hit, hit Messiah Swenson uh, on a good play. So I do, I think we'll see that package expand a little bit as the season goes on. Because, again, I, I really think Swenson can be a really good tight end. So obviously you want him on the field. Uh, but then also, being able to, you know, you have a fullback like Hatch you know, who's who's obviously physical in the run game, but can also, you know, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. And um, so I just I feel like that personnel really gives you a lot. Um, you know, again, very successful in, in a small sample size. Uh, but it's definitely something like uh, I think, uh, you know, might continue to expand as as the season progresses.
1: Yeah, I think um, what Glenn Thomas, his background at the NFL with the Falcons, I, you could see that in some of the route concept stuff uh, and what they were doing with Swinson with the glance route stuff over the middle out of their 21 is like an example of that. And it sort of reminded me a little bit of what Dirk Cutter was able to do when he was building his ASU offense that had the great tight ends, the Todd Heaps and Zach Millers. Uh, and that's something that ASU fans have actually been clamoring for in more recent years, like since the maybe like Chris Coyle was very good a decade or so ago in that type of a role of being able to get the ball to that position. And they're going to really need to be able to do that this year because they don't have a wide receiver who they can hang their hat on uh, force feeding 70 catches a game or something like that. So that again, I think was another important point. And, and uh, what, one of the things that Trey told me, you know, before we recorded this that I thought was a great point, And that's part of what is going to be written about is the way that you force uh, Defenses into difficult challenges when you are running your 21 stuff especially at the linebacker level uh, because of they have to either sort of sell out to stop the run in which case you're going to then end up with these opportunities uh, to throw the football or they can kind of hang back and you, you have the ability to kind of pound it on them and that's um, something that Glenn Thomas I think is going to be able to figure out ways to take advantage of.
4: Yeah. And another thing too, I like with 21 is as defenses get more and more complex where you're getting a ton of different looks, you know, when you're an 11 personnel, you know, so one back, one tight end, kind of a a generic uh, personnel, you get all kinds of looks, all kinds of pressures. And, you know, and you got all these looks you've got to prepare for a lot of defenses. When you get into 21, because a lot of teams don't run it, you get base looks, you're going to get base coverages. You're not going to get a ton of pressures. And so For, you know, when I was on offense, that was always nice to have to just kind of simplify the defense, you know, where you get some base looks and can kind of run run your offense without having to plan for, you know, all, you know, 10 different pressure looks and and coverages. So, again, just another reason why I think 21 can, you know, 21 and 12, uh, but kind of those heavier sets um, can, can be something good moving forward.
0: So we've talked a lot about some positives from the offensive performance against NAU, but it was first game of the season. So were there things you want to see more of or have some question about? And, you know, are there any things that they'll have to prove in coming weeks against better competition?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, like we've talked about, I I definitely think a receiver, you know, you'd like to see some guys step up at receiver um I just I mean you you watch Badger play sometimes and some of the catches he makes you're just like God, he could be so good man I mean he makes it look easy at times you know so that's that's a guy I'd really like to see kind of take that next step you know and and be able to get him the ball in space and you know you see offenses all over the country man when you just throw a a bubble screen and he makes three guys miss and you know for an explosive like it's nice to have that in your in your package so you know I think if you you know, one of those guys stepping up, uh, I definitely think Swenson is going to be a big piece moving forward. Um, you know, we talked about last week, the running backs, you know, X and, and, and Daniel are really impressive. Um, you know, but, but, so that's, I mean, that, that's kind of the biggest thing you want to see is, is what receivers can kind of step up and, and uh, you know, really, especially on third downs when you got to have one, you know, you, you'd like to see one of those guys step up and, and make plays for you.
1: I think you make a great point about Badger and his importance in, giving this offense a greater upside because he just wasn't there yet in terms of his ability to, on a a play-by-play basis, be able to get lined up and assignment, know everything he was supposed to be doing. So you had to use him as a special weapon sort of last year even, but in this game, he wasn't off sides. He seemed to be comfortable and understanding where he was supposed to be and running routes in the right locations. And if, if, if he's able to show that he can do that from a comfort standpoint, then maybe he becomes a guy like a Brandon Ayuk in his first year at ASU, where you start to throw the ball a lot to him on, you know, these bubble screens and things of that nature because of his ability to be elusive. And then also you can expand him because he has that big playmaking capability, uh, just needs to make sure that he secures the ball because yeah, he he's had a tendency to have some routine sort of, you know, uh, Confidence, you know, maybe just drop through lack of focus or whatever the case may be. But yeah, I mean, I think that is the thing that can unlock quite a bit more from this offense.
4: Yeah. Because, and two, man, it's hard to go on eight, 10 play drives. Like, you know, it's just, it's hard. I mean, to execute, you know, 10 plays in a row, it's just, it's so nice. I mean, Brandon Ayuk's a perfect example. Nikhil Harry, when he was here, like, it's just nice to have that in your pocket man where it's one on one you just throw it to him and let him go make a play or you get it to him in space you know and he gets you 30 yards. It's just you know it makes life a whole lot easier as a play caller too you know when when you have that and you don't have to string together those long methodical drives.
0: Yeah, for sure. but there we have it our first trace take. So far in our podcast, this segment we'll have throughout the season. So make sure you keep out or on the lookout for it, as there's tons of in-depth information that you're going to want to know about. Trey, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, my man. We'll now bring Cole and Noah back onto the podcast to talk a little bit about the defensive performance against NAU. They kept NAU to 23 yards rushing and did really well to stop any real explosive passes in the passing game. So was that more ASU doing well, Cole, or was it more NAU not playing as well on offense? What did you think?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I will say this, Uh, I think we, we got a, we got a pretty good introduction to how good this defensive line is probably going to be. Um, I thought they played really well, got off of blocks consistently. There was no sacks, but they did generate um, a significant amount of pressure, I'd say. Um, The linebackers, I thought, played pretty well. Um, Merlin Robertson, who we'll probably touch on a little bit more later, had a pretty good game, definitely looked looked more nimble on that lighter frame was flying all over the field, making plays. Um, Overall, I thought the performance was, was quite strong, but again, it's one of those things you, you probably got to take it with a grain of salt when it's up against an FCS opponent. And we'll probably start to see um, a little bit more of like an identity um, shaping, if you will, kind of performance over the next few weeks when they play against tougher competition but overall, I thought it was solid, and I thought the secondary as well—you um, know—kept the ball in front, um, made some good plays overall, and uh, I, I thought I thought overall it was a pretty strong performance.
0: What do you think, Noah? Did it, did ASU really play its part and have a good defensive performance, or was it was the NAU offense a little bit more of a factor?
3: I'm actually going to point to a specific play here to try and sort of round out my answer here. Um, on the Kyle Soli interception, which was one of two uh, officially registered interceptions in the game. Um, at first glance, RJ Mart- Martinez, the NAU quarterback, it really just looked like he threw it uh, straight to Kyle Soli. Um, it wasn't really anything special on Soli's part. He was just kind of there and was able to, to play a little pitch and catch with, uh, with Martinez. But you also look a little closer and you see that on the play, there was some pressure generated uh, by BJ green, three technique defensive tackle on the play uh, who power rushed his way into, into the pocket that could have gotten uh, to Martinez a little bit caused the bad throw. Um, You know, it it still was a pretty, a pretty horrendous throw and into, you know, a sea of maroon jerseys. Uh, But I think that is something that can really outline the fact that it was, it was both. Uh, It wasn't necessarily that, ASU was was wholly dominant, um, but you know NAU contributed uh, to some of that as well. Um, one thing to note with the uh, with the secondary was they did uh, they were successful in terms of keeping you know everything in front of them, uh, preventing big plays. RJ Martinez he finished with uh, eighteen completions, which was more than Jones, but only had ninety two passing yards. On the night, uh, that's that's a good performance from the unit. After Donnie Henderson, the defensive coordinator for ASU, uh, mentioned that was one of his emphases going into the game. And you know, when you have the only three points of the game coming off of a, a sack fumble that really put NEU in a really good field position, uh, they actually started that drive on the 28-yard line, the ASU 28-yard line, and moved back two yards before kicking the field goal. Um, the defense, the defense looked really good. Obviously against a, a lower tier opponent, it's it's going to have to uh, carry over to some extent uh, against Oklahoma State and even the tougher opponents in the coming weeks against uh, Utah and USC eventually to really uh, prove anything substantial. But it was a good start
1: uh, for them overall. Yeah, I think we saw a really conservative play from ASU. They blitzed almost not at all, first of all. Um, they were content to basically, you know, force NAU to move the ball methodically, which NAU wasn't able to do whatsoever. Uh, They played a lot of conservative coverages, a lot of cover three, um, some cover four, and some cover two mixed in. We know they have the ability to, and they're willing to be, play a lot of press man coverage and bring more pressures and cover one type looks, and they'll probably do that against better teams. It's going to be a totally different thing uh, when they play Oklahoma State with Spencer Sanders and what he does from a mobility standpoint. And I think we're going to see a lot more diversity of coverage, coverage and rush kind of uh, uh, packaging than we saw in this game. Um, but I, I think that, um, again, DJ Taylor, as I said, he played quite well for being in his first sort of nickel opportunity, it seemed like. The safeties I was impressed by. Chris Edmonds athletically, how he just kind of moved and functioned on the field. Real Torrance, I thought in his first start, dude is a big athletic guy who has a chance to be an impact playmaker. If he can stay really assignment sound. Um, Up front, Nesta Silvera, he had been injured a little bit in the preseason. That guy has tremendous range and mobility if they can kind of get him to be a little bit less frenetic and a little bit more balanced. Uh, He has a chance to be a really good player. Omar Norman Lott had some impressive things. Joe Moore was actually quite impressive in a number of his reps. Treves Moore coming off the ACL injury. I thought he looked really good. So um, and then of course the ASU's linebackers who are going to be the team's leading tacklers and leaders uh, as well. So There's a lot of positives, but also they had a long time to prepare for NAU, which is a wholly inferior team in terms of its personnel, and you have to kind of put those things together and say, okay, what's it going to look like when you have to prepare for these teams three, four weeks from now when you have only one week to get ready for them? And that becomes a way, way more difficult proposition that will be way more revealing about where this defense actually is at.
0: You talked about it being a pretty conservative game plan. Um, they played almost entirely in a nickel defense. Uh, after the game, Donnie Henderson, defensive coordinator, said it was based off of what NAU was putting out onto the field. That's why they were going in that nickel formation. But with that kind of how they were playing, does that say anything to you about maybe how this defense will set up in the
2: future, Cole? Um, probably, and I think it. I think it really comes down to, you know, what are they being shown from the opposing offense? You know, Donnie said they were getting a lot of eleven personnel looks, so they're going to take a linebacker off the field. You know, they want to they want to match up against that extra pass catcher. And so, if teams who play in predominantly ten and eleven personnel, we'll talk talk a little bit more about this on Thursday. But that's Oklahoma State. Um, they're probably going to be playing in nickel primarily for most of the game. Um, so we're probably going to continue to see that. Um, and if those guys can hold down their their roles and continue to play or sort of, you know, build off of what they did in this first game, then that'll definitely, you know, you probably ease some, con- it would probably ease some concerns a little bit because obviously that's a unit that has tons and tons of question market, um, marks, excuse me, surrounding it.
0: Noah, what do you think about that situation and kind of how they'll set up?
2: Well, I, I think in terms of just what,
3: uh, what Henderson is is looking, for this upcoming week against Oklahoma State, and it kind of speaks to to what Chris was talking about a little bit. Um, he mentioned in his press conference on Monday that uh, you know, they made a lot of mistakes against NAU despite giving up just three points. Um, he didn't necessarily specify, I mean, he said it was it had something to do with with technique and really cleaning things up uh, on that front with with some guys, but I think what he's what he's really sound it really sounded like he wasn't that impressed um and so it was it was a good showing for the group um like Cole said it's really going to vary depending on what they see from from different opponents um we're going to get into a little bit more of how that's going to look specifically against Oklahoma State on Thursday but uh you know from Henderson he's he's really looking for more it sounded like and and it wasn't necessarily something that, that that changed his perspective a whole lot on, uh, on where this team can go. He's still really working on, it, it sounds like, some of the fundamentals and some of the foundational things that he wants to get uh, this
1: group to really hone in on uh, in the early weeks of this season. Let me give you guys a little bit of a secret that you probably already know, but maybe you don't know. Uh, even if you do a really good job on turning in something that you do for Source, I may only tell you that you did a pretty good job or a decent job. So uh, Donnie Henderson, he doesn't want his guys getting too big of an ego. He wants them to stay hungry and focused and fixing the things that they could fix, even though maybe they did play pretty well. So I, I think that there's some, you know, KG veteran perspective that he's trying to use there with some of that. I think they, they played for a first game and how many new guys that they had. They, they played very quiet assignment sound, uh, actually. Um, you know, of course they had mistakes and he's going to then, you know, figure out the ways that he can um, emphasize what they need to do better. And they have, and they're going to have to play really well. We know that at the State. So he wants that to be the mindset, of course. Uh, but to the point about the 11 personnel, uh, we didn't know for sure that they were going to play mostly 11 personnel. They were going to play mostly nickel against 11 personnel which is one running back and one tight end like that was something that we thought maybe would be the case but with Donnie Henderson taking over the defense and he could you know he could have decided oh we're gonna play Connor Soley out there a lot because Connor Soley is an athletic linebacker he's probably the guy that runs the best and maybe he's the most mobile out of the three linebackers and you can do different things with him but you take him off the field you leave your two senior linebackers who have played the most and then you play B.J. Taylor. Uh, you know, you match up against three wide receivers with three uh, defensive backs. Of course, that's kind of the, the whole idea of this. And uh, as I said, Taylor played well. Uh, that to me, the secondary is the biggest question about the defense this season, uh, and 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 particularly so when Demarcus Davis and Jordan Clark are out for the first game. Jordan Clark coming back, maybe may or may, may or may not play uh, this week, but then. Um, Rotoran's new Chris Edmonds new to this level Bethley's a transfer right sort of sort of puts into perspective kind of where they're at but if that group plays well against Oklahoma State ASU is going to hang in that game and if that group doesn't play that well then it's probably going to be a double digit loss so uh the fact that they're going to be playing mostly nickel almost entirely nickel against Oklahoma state i would say is something that we're going to keep hammering home to you guys throughout the week is try to get you prepared for that game
0: yeah so i mean it it really seems like the big story coming out of this game for both offense and defense is they did well but there's a big test coming up against oklahoma state so that'll really show us where this defense kind of stands for the rest of the season and how they played and as chris said all of the Defensive backs that we talked to today, we're talking about the vertical passing ability of Oklahoma state. So for them specifically, there could be a pretty big test coming their way, but let's talk a little bit about special teams breakout star. In some ways we came into the game, not knowing who was going to kick between Carter Brown and Jace Feely. There was a kicking battle and Carter Brown made four of four with two 40 plus yard kicks and was named PAC 12 special teams player of the week earlier today. So Chris, Tell me a little bit about Carter Brown, what you saw from him, what you kind of expected coming into the game, and if it was a
1: surprise to see what he did. Geez, you said it was like maybe a little bit of a surprise. I mean, did anyone expect Carter Brown to be special teams player of the week in the Pac-12? No. 0.0% of people who watch an ASU practice this uh, last month would have said that because we didn't even know he was going to be the kicker. Um, I think that in the the portions of practices that media observed, which was probably 70, 80% of practice in August, uh, Jace Feely made more field goals than Carter Brown and had as as big of a leg as Carter Brown. And yet uh, Sean Slocum decided that he was going to go with Carter Brown. He said he was going to go with the hot leg. Um, So we'll have to just kind of see if that continues moving forward because interestingly enough, in today's practice, Carter Brown missed all the, his final four field goal attempts, including the last one was extremely bad. Um, so I don't know. Like that, that may change. That may not change. One of the things I pointed out on our message board was in 2007, I believe, um, Thomas Weber, who ended up being a, I think a four-year kicker for ASU and third all-time now in made field goals. He was second at the time his career ended because Zane Gonzalez hadn't um, played at ASU yet, of course, but um, he, in my opinion, very clearly was not as good or not as accurate as a walk-on that year named Zach uh, Richards. And yet the ASU's coaches gave the the starting job to the scholarship kicker, Weber. Uh, this year, Carter Brown's on scholarship. Jace Feely not on scholarship. They gave it to the, the scholarship kicker. But the fact that he made four out of four, including two from 44 yards, yes, that, that was kind of surprising it was even surprising to me that he was the one who got all four of the kicks, especially when they could have very easily, with the game decided in the fourth quarter, they could have thrown their other kicker out there and seen how how he performed and and, and as part of the uh, determination process of how guys handle playing, uh, kicking, it, you know, in games under the lights. So, uh, but does this bode really well for Carter Brown's future as a kicker at ASU? Absolutely. We have seen. Some of the best kickers of all time win the job as a freshman and then go on to have four-year careers. So there is now potential for Carter Brown to be among ASU's all-time leaders if he's able to show that he deserves to maintain this starting job.
0: Yeah, it was a kicking competition between him and Jace Feely, as you talked about. Jace Feely came on to punt in the game but didn't actually – end up kicking any field goals or or extra points. So it was a heck of a debut from Carter Brown. And we'll see what that does throughout the rest of his Sun Devil career and what next week will look like. And if he's now going to be nailed in as that starter, but we've talked about every part of the game, offense, defense, special teams. Let's talk a little bit about if this changes your opinion at all. First game of the season, it's against a team at NAU that is definitely not as good as ASU going into the game. ASU is expected to win the game but did how they perform and how the game kind of pro- progressed through the two through the stages did this game change your kind of season forecast for ASU at all Cole?
2: um I, i'm a, i'd say i'm a little bit more optimistic relative to my ex- expectations in the beginning i i guess you know probably had something to do with what we saw during camp just wasn't particularly promising to me and then they came out in game and um you know did some did some stuff especially on offense that you know sort of impressed me. And again, I've said it two other times, but you kind of got to take these uh, this first week as a grain of salt, but regardless um, I think it's, I think it definitely makes me a little more optimistic. Do I think they'll win any more games? Not necessarily. I still think this is a five and seven football team. I think they haven't really shown at least me, you know, the, the capability of really um, you know, shooting through that ceiling Uh, again, we're going to find out a lot this Saturday about that if they can hang in a game with the 11th ranked team in the country on the road, then that might change things quite a bit for me, at least, but only time will tell.
0: What about you, Noah? Did your opinion change at all?
3: My five and seven forecast for this team still stands. Um, this game against NAU, I mean, obviously that was one of the the wins I, I sort of had guaranteed uh, as part of that five win total. Um, they did, you know, a lot of the things they did were not necessarily, you know, surprising. Uh, maybe the extent to which they did it, and then obviously some of the other uh, details regarding their their penalties and and things of that nature. That that those are certainly promising, but um, there's going to really be a lot more telling performances coming up. Um, not even just against Oklahoma State, but they also have Utah, USC. Again, it's a front-loaded schedule um they got their their tune-up game out of the way it's that's it's essentially what it was um against NAU and so and so I'm just going to really stick to to my five and seven prediction um, and just kind of wait and see I'm, I'm gonna have to see a lot more to to really sway me uh towards a six and six uh, or even seven and five prediction that's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna take a lot more
1: I, I was um I was between 5 and 7 and 6 and 6 before the season as you guys know and I said on our prediction podcast but I went with 6 and 6 and let me just say I'm kind of glad that I did cuz I think that 5 and 7 now is uh, I'd be I'd be a little bit nervous if 5 and 7 was my was my pick. I think ASU looked a little bit better in a few different areas than I expected. And if you add them up cumulatively that sort of puts them into maybe being a half a game on the season pr- projection better, maybe. And the, the areas I would say were, um, I thought Isaiah Glass played really well, actually, for his first game, which I was the love tackle. Uh, and of course, it's an NAU, right? Uh, Emory Jones, a little bit better than I maybe anticipated for his first game. Uh, Elijah Badger. And kind of in, in some of the receiving stuff, a little bit better. They played a little bit cleaner with their operationally than I had maybe thought they would. DJ Taylor, I mentioned him. Roe Torrance, mentioned him. So if all of those things sort of continue, and then Carter Brown, you know, he played well. If all those things kind of continue to be slightly better, then all of those areas combined maybe equal an, an extra half of, win or extra win maybe in the forecast not for sure but i think it just gives you that that sort of potential um so yeah but six and six definitely sticking with six and six
0: all right asu done with as noah called it the tune-up game against nau if you want more analysis on that game than we just went over in this podcast Look out on the site for 10 takeaways and upon further review, which will both be written by Chris. We will also have a preview of what is to be a big test for ASU against Oklahoma State. That preview podcast will be up by Thursday. It'll be a members-only podcast, so make sure to stay on the lookout for that. And, of course, stay in tune to all of our content before Saturday's game against Oklahoma State in Stillwater, Oklahoma at Boone Pickens Stadium. We'll have everything you need to know about that matchup as ASU face their biggest test so far this season in their second game. They're 1-0 on the season so far, and now they're taking on Oklahoma State. But that'll be it for this edition of the Sun Devil Swords Report podcast. For Chris Cartman, Cole Bradley, and Noah Furtado, I'm Ethan Ryder. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next